Welcome and good morning. Glad you're here today. Let me share just a few things before we jump into the lesson. First, a very, very big thank you to all the volunteers who uh, made VBS happen for our children. Uh, thank you for uh, all you did. Susie uh, led that incredible effort, countless hours, so many people, men, women, young and old, uh, to teach our children about God working in the lives of Abraham and Balaam, about Jesus being the light of the world. Uh, thank you for that. Second, it's on the front page of the bulletin. Our back-to-school giveaway event is this Saturday. And I share that for a couple of reasons. One, if you were uh, here in town and you heard about some of the unrest that is going on in our town, I am grateful uh, especially this coming Saturday, that we can serve arm-in-arm with the Carmack Church of Christ doing good. Um, I think what a wonderful opportunity for us to uh, be seen as a, a God's people uh, trying to serve. We're going to give away 2,000 loaded backpacks uh, to children who would not otherwise uh, struggle to have those for, for school. And so for those of you who have already contributed funds, thank you for that. Today is the deadline. Uh, if you'd like to give money to help um, offset that cost, I mean, this is what we do as a church. Uh, we partner with Carmack, and there are several other churches, some black, some white, uh, and we partner together. Uh, we also are needing more volunteers. Now, I've not signed up yet, and I'm leading the team for uh, Carmack and West 7, so uh, some of you may also be planning to go. Talked to Demetrius yesterday. There's four West 7 folks and six with Carmack so far. So that's a lot of running. Uh, we need much more than that. Now, many of you plan to. I'll be there, so you'll be there. Uh, maybe others as well. So get online and sign up and help with that. And then remember, Thursday is our volunteer meeting. Uh, here's the best news of the morning. And if you read the bulletin, you know this already. But Priscilla Loray was baptized Monday night. And we are so thankful for that. She's the oldest daughter of Kevin and Nicole. Uh, today's also her birthday, uh, so uh, if you see her, you got lots to congratulate her for. We give a Bible to those who are baptized, um, say a special prayer, call them up front if they're willing. Some choose to do that privately, and that's her choice. So we're going to give her her Bible uh, at another time, and, and that's okay with that. <clears throat> you might remember about the Loray family. Uh, they came to West 7th about a year ago. Uh, in fact, Kevin was telling me it was a year ago today that Molly Kofer invited them and their family to the block party. Uh, and they came and they have been with us ever since. Um, shortly thereafter, after some studying and talking, Kevin and uh, Nicole were baptized. And then on May the 2nd, um, their youngest daughter, Allison, was baptized. And now today, the, the whole family. Um, after I gave the message on hospitality, Kevin came up to me, and Kevin, come on up, and said, um, hey, I just want to share a little bit about my story and my family and how this church has impacted me, and I got real nervous. Um, because if you know Kevin, you know I should be nervous about that, and, and yet I was not. I said, Let, let's, let's go. And so he just wants to share a quick message of encouragement to all of you. Good morning, church. So he said some of the stuff I wrote, but I'm going to read it anyway. So for those of you that don't know us, we're the Lurie's. My wife is Nicole. My daughter is Priscilla and Allison. And a year ago, we moved here to Columbia, Tennessee from New York. And Randy's sermon two weeks ago about hospitality really touched us. 
We came into this small town very much like Joe Pesci and Marissa Tomei did and my cousin Vinny. <laughs> I mean, we felt very out of sorts and very out of place. And as we were leaving New York, Nicole's friend at her job told her, find, the first thing you need to do is find yourself a new church and a new church family and everything else will fall into place. Well, we just wanted to extend our gratitude and our appreciation and our thanks to everyone here for welcoming us with such a warm and love. Um, as, they, as you say here in the South, wait, as you say here in the South, y'all are the definition of, of um, the definition of physical examples of Randy's sermon that day. From the bottom of our hearts, we just want to thank you for accepting us. I hope uh, you all will continue to show hospitality. Uh, there's only one Kevin, uh, and we're glad that he's ours. Uh, today is one of the three Sundays we have nothing scheduled in the evening. And the challenge is for you to show hospitality. That could be at lunch, it could be this evening, it could be some other time, It'll be another one July the 30th. And again, it's one of those that we, we should be doing anyway all the time. Uh, and I would challenge you, as I was told by a grandmother this morning after that sermon, one of her grandchildren told her at lunch that she'd already invited some people over. Um, and so they're listening, uh, and, and it's good. We are in a study about loving one another. So if you're a guest with us today, that's what we're talking about. And we're learning what it means in a very practical sense, straight from Scripture, of what it means to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus. He told us in John 13, verses 34 and 35, A new command I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, so you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Folks, this is what it's about. We talk about our, our theme, our mission, our, our goal to be completely committed followers of Jesus discipling, equipping, serving, and loving. We're to live that out every day. And I want this study of these passages to be an encouragement, to kind of light a fire within us, to give us some fuel to continue to be like Jesus. We have been loved by Jesus. And God himself has given us the capacity to love one another. That's who he is. That's what he wants of us. I came across this application for a uh, permission to date a daughter. You, you've heard of these before. Several questions that any dad would want answered. And it starts with simple questions like name, age, height, weight, IQ, GPA, bank balance, Boy Scout rank. And then questions like what church are you a part of and how involved are you? Ever been fingerprinted? And then some essay questions like... Um, Explain in 50 words or less what don't touch my daughter uh, means to you. Or uh, what does late mean to you? And then a couple of fill-in-the-blank questions. If I were to be shot, the last place I'd want to be shot is, if I were to be beaten, what's the last bone I would want to be broken? The one thing I hope this application doesn't ask is fill-in-the-blank. Sign your name, thank you for your interest, and please allow four to six years for processing. Because accepting a new or a different person 
into your world, your family, your circle. That doesn't come easy for us in the flesh. It, it just does not. I think one of the greatest challenges faced by those who want to improve their obedience to Jesus' command to love one another, and we do want to improve, don't we? I mean, we do want to get better and better at this because God gave this as a command, a new command, Jesus said, I give to you. And not just the golden rule that you love me the way that I want to be loved, but you love the way Jesus loves, the platinum rule. We love Jesus, and we believe he's right. What he's telling us is right. This is best. So we're serious about living this out. Plus, think about this. This is one of the greatest opportunities for the church to shine. By this, people will know that you are my disciples. So when it comes to an acceptance speech, we need to talk the talk. I think few are harder to write, harder to do right. One time I was at a preaching conference, and, and the man who was teaching the segment was talking about, in a Bible study, in, in any kind of in-depth study, when you're getting into Scripture, inevitably you're going to find some tension. And, and all too quickly, a preacher or a teacher can jump right to the solution and not let that tension even exist for any time. Here's the answer, and here's what you need to know. And so we give that solution without really understanding the tension. But there's something to be learned when you really dig into Scripture and you really explore that tension and allow it to stretch you. And to challenge you, what does the Bible say? What does it really mean? Why did God allow that? Or did God cause that to happen? What am I to make of that in Scripture? What was God trying to do when he did that? How does this teaching in this passage square with another passage that I know the Bible teaches us? If there's a topic of Bible study that has tension, it's this one this morning. And here's where I see this tension in the study. When it comes to acceptance, that's what we're talking about, accepting one another. When does acceptance cross the line and become unacceptable compromise? When does acceptance cross the line and become unacceptable compromise? Because it can. In fact, it often does. That's the tension. And that's the challenge. We want to talk about that. I put it at the top of the outline. It's on the screen. Loving one another means we must balance living with convictions and loving without conditions. But how do we do that? I mean, it's one thing to sit in church and fill that in an outline or just hear those words being said or, or nod your head like, yeah, that's true. But how do we balance living with convictions and loving without conditions? Because we don't want acceptance to bleed over into unacceptable compromise. Because we know many churches, many denominations have done just that. They've diminished the authority of Scripture. They no longer talk about the deity of Jesus. They have accepted, if not promoted in their own churches, immoral lifestyles. We know this to be true. Same-sex marriage relationships, transgenderism. I mean, unless your head's been in a cave, you know this is happening. Some churches, some denominations are splitting over this. Because now, what, what do we believe? 
But most church splits are not over core Bible teachings. Most are over peripheral matters of opinions, matters of interpretations, or worse, power struggles and egos. And preachers can be the worst at causing or being a part of that. But here's where that challenge is, is really for all of us. Whether you are a seasoned saint and you've been walking with the Lord for decades or, or you're new to the faith, you're, you're a new convert, those matters of opinion to one believer can be a matter of deep personal faith to another. This happens when we do not realize just how much culture affects how every one of us reads and interprets scripture. Now, this is not just an American problem. This is not just a 21st century problem. This has happened ever since the beginning of the church. In the first century, especially the church at Rome, there was great diversity. In fact, I don't know that we could ever find greater diversity. People from all kinds of backgrounds, ethnic diversity especially. Jews and Gentiles worshiping together. This was a first in history. And it was a big deal. And so there were some deeply held convictions brought to this new gathering of people from all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of faith, all kinds of understandings. And not everybody held the same convictions. You had a Jewish Christian who had always kept the Sabbath. His family line had always kept the Sabbath. He was still a Jew. He's just now a fulfilled Jew, a Messianic Jew. So was he going to keep the Sabbath? Of course he was. Because that was a part of his heritage. That was a part of him. And so he continued. Well, right there at church with him was also this Gentile Christian who did not grow up keeping the Sabbath. Maybe he heard about it. For sure didn't fully understand or appreciate it. So he doesn't really care about it. To him, it's not necessary. So how does this Jewish Christian love without reservation this Gentile Christian who does not hold that same deep conviction? Or a Gentile, who for years, you took meat and you sacrificed it to that idol. But it wasn't just an idol, it wasn't just a stone to you. This was your God. This is the one to whom you wanted to please. You wanted to do right. And so you with joy brought that offering. And you sacrificed it. For years, it was your God. Your whole family was wrapped up in that worship. For as long as you can remember, you would bring that sacrifice. It was special to you. Now, to, to the Jew, who's right there at church with you, he didn't believe in that at all. In fact, he looked at that, that idol and thought, it's just a block of stone. And that offering that you gave with all your heart, it's just meat. And so he had no problem going to the butcher shop right behind that sacrifice and buying that quality meat and take it home for the family dinner. Didn't bother him at all. The same meat that Gentile had offered as a sacrifice that now was holy and not to be consumed was that Jewish family supper that night. It's just meat. No big deal. That Gentile cannot understand how that Jew could be so flippant about something like that, calling it common, groceries, just a good deal, just, just, just good meat. How insensitive. So how is this Gentile Christian supposed to love, without condition, this Jewish Christian who does not hold the same conviction? Do you see how your background, your upbringing, 
your, your previous experiences kind of taints or at least affects the way you see Scripture, especially when you come together with others who don't see it the same way. Jerry Cook's mom was, was married Monday. I was able to visit with her about a month or two ago. We talked about things, and uh, what a lady, what a wonderful lady, full of spunk. Um, uh, lo- loved just getting to know her and felt like I was robbed. I didn't know her more. But she was telling me she had that raspy smoker's voice. And, and she said, Randy, I smoked all my life. And she had some health problems because of that. But she said she grew up on a, her, her dad raised tobacco. It's what they did. And she said, we didn't know. That was her words. We didn't know then what we know now. And you could tell she felt sad about that because that's just what she did. And, and again, she was paying the consequences. You know, by the late 80s, our country was kind of waking up to, to the devastating effects of, of smoking, of tobacco use altogether. What was once commonplace was now not. My brother-in-law, about that time, moved to North Carolina to do his residency in radiology. And there was a church there that they were a part of that was right in the heart of tobacco farming. He said, Randy, it's like we had stepped back in time. They still had the smoke break between class and worship. Some of you know what I'm talking about. He said, it hadn't hit the, why? Because they were right in the middle of tobacco country. Some of them were tobacco farmers. Why? Because the culture has always affected churches, and it affects how we see, read, and interpret Scripture. Now, sadly, you can take church history, and this could be a whole other lesson. And you say, well, this is a church that's, that's for this, or this is a church that's against that, and you just find a church that aligns with your views, and, and that's the church for you. But I think it's interesting. I want you to see this this morning. We can't get into all the details. I'm going to give you some highlights that Paul's inspired counsel through the book of Romans to these Christians who disagreed was not to separate and find a, make a bunch of different churches who see things exactly the same on all these matters. Instead, look on the screen at Romans 14, verses 17 through 18. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Verse 19, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. The New Living Translation says, so then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. If we love one another, and that's what this new command Jesus gave, love one another, we cannot view relationships, people, as disposable. Even when we do not agree. But how do you love without convictions? Someone who sees things differently than you, they don't hold the same convictions. In one sense, and that's where the title comes from, acceptance speech, it's from a commentary I read, and it talked about the book of Romans really could be called that, his acceptance speech of how to accept one another. In the first half of the book of, uh, of Romans, Paul reminds his readers they all share a same, a same salvation, a common salvation through Jesus Christ. Chapter 1 of Romans, you Gentiles, you are steeped in sin. Take a moment, go back and read Romans chapter 1. It's a dark chapter. These Gentiles are without God, without hope. 
Chapter 2, Jews, you're no better. Yes, you're God's chosen people, but even though you had the law, you didn't keep it. So in chapter 3, he says, no one is righteous. No one. We've all fall short of the glory of God. And in the next five chapters in the book of Romans, he explains how righteousness is credited to all believers, regardless of their background. It's all through Jesus. By grace, through faith, we trust in his offering. I so appreciated the, the songs that Tucker chose, not even knowing the direction I was going with this message, because the gospel was through all of those. Did you catch that as you were singing the lyrics? So all of us, no matter who we are or our background, we are saved the same way. Chapter 6, verse 4, it's not on the screen. It says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Every Jew, every Gentile, every man, every woman baptized into Christ became one in Jesus. But then in the book of Romans, Paul gets really practical. So he talks about this common salvation we have through Jesus one faith, one Lord, one baptism. He talks about that. Now he talks about what it means. And he pleads for peace and for unity. How it is done. I put this on the outline. It's also on the screen. Romans 15, verses 5 and 6. This was a part of the verse that Jackson read. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to, and here's the phrase, be of the same mind with one another, according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So accepting one another means we must be of the same mind with one another. Now, don't interpret be of the same mind as think alike, because that's not what he's saying here. And we get that wrong. We get that confused sometimes. Many years ago, there was a, a family visiting here, and I, and, and I hadn't met them yet. I, I was told about them, and I, and I was told how one of our members said to another, this is a, a very upright, polished family. I mean, they're very professional, very engaging. I mean, it's very likable. And the comment of one of our members like, now that is our kind of people. And I wish I had been there to say, Exactly what is our kind of people? Because Jesus died for all people. All people. God wants everyone to be saved. Now, I think I, I, think I know what he meant, because what he was saying is what you and I think sometimes, is people who think like me, people who dress like me, people who vote like me, People who reason like me, maybe even look like me. But notice that Paul allows for these different opinions as he pleads for the same mind. Because people with different convictions can love one another if they've got the mind of Christ. And we don't have to wonder what the mind of Christ is. The Bible talks about that over and over and over again. But to me, the best verse that illustrates it is Philippians chapter 2. Look at verses 5 through 8. From the New Revised Standard Version. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. See what he's saying here? You have the same mind of Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, 
but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Folks, unity does not require total agreement, but it does require total commitment to consider others better than yourselves. Let me share that again. Unity does not require total agreement, but it does require total commitment to consider others ahead of ourselves. We openly acknowledge that we don't always think the same. We have different opinions, different thoughts, but we do think alike when we have the mind of Jesus because we're his disciples. We think like him. So be of the same mind. But let's continue in verse 7. Then he says to accept one another accept one another just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God now I want you to notice that in this section of scripture twice Paul says that he degree he disagrees with the view that food is unclean go back and read chapter 14 verse 14 and verse 20 he says it twice he disagrees with that but it's not a point of contention it's not a point of fellowship that's what he's saying here Paul is completely willing to accept those whose convictions he thinks are wrong without trying to change their minds. To me, this is something worth noting. Because loving one another means accepting without fixing. To love one another, back to our title, means we excel in acceptance speech. So let me get specific. This is where I want us to take this home. Accepting one another, three things, means we speak about the gospel and its implications. Accepting one another means we speak about the gospel and its implications. Remember a couple of months ago, we talked about the gospel, the good news, the things that are, as Paul says, of first importance, the death, the burial, and the resurrection, of our salvation, this common salvation. And loving one another is deeply rooted in this radical message of Jesus' gospel. Romans 15, 7, accept one another then, look at the phrase, just as Christ accepted you. You ever struggle with this, accepting one another? Here's where you need to go. You do it just as Jesus accepted you. What conditions did you meet before Jesus died for you? We weren't even born yet. We've not even committed our sins yet. He already decided to die for us but we're quick to judge. We look people and we size them up, either with what they're saying or how they look. I'm gonna share a quote at the end, so hang with me because I really want you to stay for that. But we do it all the time, all of us. We do it all the time. I'm guilty, you're guilty. Let me share a story. H.A. Ironside shared this illustration from Bible Truth about this folly. He related an incident of life of a man called Bishop Potter He was sailing for Europe on one of the great transatlantic ocean liners. He went on board, found another passenger, was to share a cabin with him. After going to see the accommodations, he came to the purser's desk and inquired if he could leave his gold watch and other valuables in the ship's safe. He explained that ordinarily he never availed himself to the privilege, but he had been to his cabin and met the man that he was to share it with and said, judging from his appearance, He was afraid he might not be a very trustworthy person. 
The purser accepted the responsibility for the valuables and remarked, It's all right, Bishop. I'll be very glad to take them for you. The other man has already been here and left his for the same reason. <laughs> I do it. You do it. We all do it. We judge. Call it what you will. We size people up by what we see. Here's the reality. Accepting one another happens with the foundation of understanding the gospel. When you realize how Jesus Christ has accepted you. Doesn't matter what your skin color is. Doesn't matter what your family. If it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't matter if it's the perfect marriage or not. Doesn't matter your political persuasion. You need grace. It doesn't matter where you are, the liberal conservative perspective continuum, you need grace. Any of you contemporary Christian music fans remember Sidewalk Prophets? I haven't heard of them of, of late, but there was a song that they, uh, I think it was number one for, for quite a while. It's called You Love Me Anyway. The opening verses, it just talks about sin, awareness of sin, talked about doubting God, and then, and then the chorus is, but you love me anyway. In fact, the, verse, the, the chorus goes like this. But you love me anyway. It's like nothing in life that I've ever known. Yes, you love me anyway. Oh, Lord, how you love me. And then he goes on to say, I am the thorn in your crown, but you love me anyway. I am the sweat from your brow, but you love me anyway. You remember this? I am the nail in your wrist, but you love me anyway. I am Judas's kiss, but you live, love me anyway. See now, I'm the man who yelled out from the crowd for your blood to be spilled on this earth-shaking ground. Yes, then I turned away with a smile on my face, with the sin in my heart tried to bury your grace. And then alone in the night, I still called out for you, so ashamed of my life. But you love me anyway. When you understand your own desperate need for grace, when you understand the only reason you're saved is because God loved you and died for you, that is what enables you to in turn give grace to someone else because you need it. And you're so aware of your own need of grace. The implications of our need of grace means that we do not judge the free, as Paul calls them, or the bound, to use his words, with condescension. We don't do that. We look beyond that. Acceptance speech is grounded in the gospel because Jesus died for people, not points of view. Well, number two, accepting one another <clears throat> doesn't mean we just speak about the grace. We also speak because God's praise is our ultimate preference. It's all about him. That's the reason, the goal. Look again at verse 7. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. This is what pleases him. This is what he wants. So it's not just a command, a, a test a, to, to see if you'll step across the line. This is what brings him joy. This is what praises him. This is what he loves. The convicting testimony of God's united kingdom is not that we're all alike, that we're clones, that we're just like one another, is that our allegiance to Jesus supersedes our differences. 
That's how we love one another. I shared the lyrics of a newer song. Let me tell you about a story of an older song. I read about a college group that was returning from a road trip for their class. And they were talking about their favorite songs and favorite hymns. And, and there was one Korean student, student from Korea, said his favorite song was The Old Rugged Cross. And the young man writing the story said it was all I could do not to roll my eyes. So tired and, and so weary uh, of that song. But then the Korean student went on to say, <clears throat> I love it because, well, you, you need to hear it in my language. Because if, if you heard it in my language, I think you'd appreciate it more. So he just started to sing the song. And as he sang, all the other students couldn't help. But they, they heard the music, but they were thinking in, in English. And some of those all-familiar old words became new and fresh about cherishing the cross about laying down my trophies you know the words and the student that was so wished to roll his eyes wrote this it dawned on me hearing this guy from another country singing another language how cosmic the kingdom of God is how God is working his plan to save mankind through the cross God is bringing the world with all of our differences together. See, our differences may be great, but our God is greater. That is always the main point of our acceptance speech. By this, all people will know you're my disciples. One more. Accepting one another means we speak. Accept when it's more loving to say nothing. Sometimes the best way to lift up Christ is to bite your tongue and to say nothing. Sometimes the best way to let your light shine is for your mouth to be quiet. Romans 14, verse 22. So whatever you believe about these things, Paul writes, keep between yourself and God. Don't you love that? The New Century Version said, should be kept secret between you and God. Sometimes silence really is golden. Sometimes it really is best. Sometimes love is best expressed without words. So maybe you need to close your mouth. And maybe even close your eyes and open your heart. And see people as God sees people. I alluded to this as we started the message. Let me share this quote. Some of you may know the name of Sarah Walker. She was a member of the Brentwood Hills Church of Christ. She died at age 34 of cancer. We have folks here who used to be at Brentwood Hills when you lived in Nashville. Some have family there. So you may know Sarah. She was in her final stages of cancer treatment when she wrote these words. I think she died about 10 years ago. Listen, listen to this. I pray when you look around at your congregation, at the people who've taken the time and the energy to be there for worship, that your eyes will be blind to the external appearance, to the new clothes, to the nice cars, to the fancy bags. I pray that those will be completely invisible to you and you will see sheep confused, chaotic sheep who find peace and order in the presence of their shepherd. Sheep who've come to drink up living water, 
and pour out songs of praise to the shepherd who has led them safely through the week. I pray you will see the components of the kingdom that Jesus describes. You will see a collection of the poor in spirit, the mourning, the meek, the hungry and thirsty, the sinners who mess up right and left, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, the persecuted. I pray we may all rejoice together and be exceedingly glad. Reminding each other of our great reward in heaven. This, how you love one another, is how people will know that we are his disciples. Let's pray. Lord, we need you. We need your grace. We need your salvation. We know that. And we ask for your help to accept one another just as you accepted us. God, you have given us the capacity. Please give us your heart, your heart to be of the same mind. And may others, may we see you and others as the ones you died to save, the ones you want to go to heaven. And Father, may others, may others see this in us and give you glory. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. Have you been accepted by Jesus? Did you catch the lines in some of the songs we read about how he's made us his own? Are you his? Have you been baptized, as Paul wrote about in the book of Romans? Baptized into Christ to be made a new creation? We're going to sing a song and encourage you to say yes to our Lord. The salvation that only comes by grace and through faith. Or if we can pray for you, that you'll be more and more like the one we love. Won't you come as we stand and sing to encourage? The Lord lift his countenance upon